Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The Apostle John wrote these words 2,000 years ago about people who claimed to speak for Jesus but went beyond his teachings. In modern times, we have the same issue, but today it's known as progressive Christianity. Now, this is a new set of teachings, and it can be difficult to spot because often it redefines familiar words and hides within traditional church denominations. This week, I'm joined by Jennifer Beidel for a conversation that exposes what progressive Christianity teaches and why it is neither progressive nor Christian. Jennifer is a friend and the founder of United Next Gen, a ministry dedicated to helping the next generation know and live their faith in a culture where they are increasingly out of step. And this is actually part two in our series on how to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing. You can check out part one where we address cults like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses in episode 156. I hope this series can help you stay true to the gospel and defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Jennifer, welcome on to the show. I really appreciate you making time to be with us today. Thank you. I'm glad that you invited me on. You and I connected over the past year through the Colson Fellows Program, which is uh, an internship. It's, it's, it's a fellowship where the Colson Center helps people really think through and clarify a biblical worldview and the cultural issues that are eroding that and how we should mm -hmm. think better and um, be better ambassadors for Christ in the culture today. You mm -hmm. finished that program last year, but were part of my flight. Um, I yes. just finished it up last month. So it's great to have you on. We're going to have a conversation today about one of the cultural issues that we discussed in the fellowship, which is progressive Christianity. But before we dive into that, mm -hmm. maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your your work with United Next Gen and, and how the Colson Center has, has helped shape your ministry over the past year or so. Yeah, so in 2019, I specifically remember it was a certain day, I was at church listening to a message on parenting, and the pastor was saying, if we aren't teaching our kids a fully orbed, um, a fully developed understanding of reality and how we believe it interacts with their everyday life, we're practically guaranteeing that they won't hold on to their faith. And it just struck me that day like a lightning bolt, like I need to be way more intentional about better discipling and equipping my kids in the culture that we find ourselves in, in a very post-truth, uh, post-Christian culture. And so it was just that day. I just dove into um, taking classes um, on apologetics, on theology, hermeneutics, worldview, which led me to the Colson Fellows Program eventually. Um, I led a few parent groups through some book studies. And then coming out of the program, I um, um, ended up launching a ministry because I wanted to help other parents in the same way that I was trying to be better equipped myself because I have three teenagers um, that I'm trying to raise and maintaining their faith and deeply rooting them so they can know Jesus and make him known to others. That's, you know, my ultimate goal as a parent. And so I started United Next Gen Ministry um, this past fall. We just completed our first year. It was amazing. Um, my ministry partner and I 
And it, it's just geared towards fostering intentional discipleship in the home on a worldview level, apologetics level, um, and providing clarity for the families and be able to understand, you know, everything that they're seeing in culture and be able to disciple and equip their kids better than that way. And part of what um, we did in United was talking about progressive Christianity. So um, my head's been really in this a lot in the past couple of years. Yes, absolutely. The the show Into the Harvest is really, it's tied back to a verse in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus saw the need. He saw the crowds of people that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he was moved with compassion. Our English translation really doesn't do that justice. In the Greek, that word communicates a, a physical sensation, like a, his stomach was twisted. His stomach was in knots. So when Jesus mm-hmm. saw the crowds of people harassed like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with yeah. compassion and he turned to his disciples and he told them to harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so the, the visual there is that God has called each of us into his family, but he's also placed each of us into a certain corner of the harvest. The whole world belongs to God. The whole world is this harvest field. And each of us is located somewhere in some corner of the harvest. And the Lord wants us to be workers in that corner of the harvest. So you and I are here in San Diego County. You're a little further north than me, but I love how you've really taken ownership of your corner of the harvest, where, where you're at in life and then trying to bring God's truth and biblical values into making disciples there. So we'll put some links Mm -hmm. to United Next Gen here in the show notes. If folks want to check that out, I think we do have a lot of parents who would love to be better resourced to help their children, their their teenage children and and their children's friend groups be more um, in tune with what scripture actually communicates. But like you said, we're going to talk about progressive Christianity today. So we'll dive into that here. This is actually the second of a two-part series that we're doing on false gospels. And the scriptures Mm -hmm. from the very beginning, Jesus himself warned us that um, wolves would come in dressed in sheep's clothing. Uh, He warned us against false prophets. Peter warned us against false teachers in 2 Peter. Paul warned us against false teachers. We see it in the book of Acts. So this isn't a new problem, but we do want to address our generation's version of false teaching. So a few episodes back, we did one on what you might call the more traditional cults, things like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, some of the more, um, I would say, recognizable uh, Mm -hmm. false prophets or wolves in sheep's clothing. But today we want to talk about progressive Christianity, which is a newer Uh, false gospel that is being promoted. And it's perhaps a little harder for for folks to spot. So from your vantage point, how would you define what progressive Christianity is? Well, progressive Christianity, it's, it's basically a redefinition of what historic Christianity really is into a form that really isn't it really isn't Christianity at all. Um, and like you said, it, it's it's really the modern day version of what's been going on, you know, for many years, hundreds of years. Um, like Jay Gresham Machen wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism in the early 1900s. I think it was like in the 1920s. And he's, it was um, a book 
written to refute the need to make the Bible more palatable. And so back then it was liberal Christianity. Now it's just called progressive Christianity, but it's basically the same, um, same version. And so it's rooted really in postmodernism and postmodernism, meaning that it's this idea that objective truth that's found outside ourselves can't be known. And so if you can't have that objective truth and that certainty of truth, then where do you go? You go into yourself, right? And so truth is find, found within yourself. And that's what we're really swimming in right now is the worldview of relativism and um, moral relativism. And, you know, you hear phrases like live your truth. You do you, you know, and so it's kind of like I would I would kind of characterize progressive Christianity basically as secularism, the authority of the self um, being brought into the church to where self is made the authority rather than um, God and the Bible being your authority. So it's really just rather than submitting to God and his word and making him the authority and in progressive Christianity, the self has made the authority and the authority has shifted more to our thoughts, feelings, and our preferences. And, and it's, it's a, it's focus is really more on actions rather than beliefs, hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a religion of moralism about um, being a good person. It's very social justice oriented and, the thing about progressive Christianity is that there's no, there's no like hard set of beliefs that every single progressive Christian will adhere to, right? Since it is more action oriented. And so, um, any, you, it, it's kind of blurry. The lines are kind of blurry depending, you know, not all, some progressive Christians might believe this, some might believe that. And that's what happens, right? When truth gets mm-hmm. relegated to the self. And so they have, they put more values and questions than they do in answers. And so, but on the other hand, generally speaking, there is a set of sort of core values that most people who would call themselves, call themselves progressive Christians do adhere to, which is kind of the self-refuting nature of relativism, right? I mean, uh, whenever you say you don't really have a, a hard set of beliefs, that's actually a belief in itself, right? It's sort of self repeat. Right. So, um, but they do generally adhere, which I think we'll get into um, some core values that, that they have. And also I just want to clarify too, that progressive Christianity, it, we're not talking about like politically progressive, right? These, they're mm-hmm. too, it's like more of a theological progressivism. So just want to, I don't want people to, to misunderstand or I just want to provide that clarity. Although, most people who would call themselves progressive Christians do typically adhere to more progressive politics as well, but they are two different things we're talking about today. It's more a theological progressivism. Yeah. If we're going to try to identify some of those attitudes or, or mm-hmm. moods that you see in progressive Christian thinking and literature uh, claims, uh, truth claims, you're right. Um, it's hard to nail down necessarily an overarching uh, list of tenets. You know, like if you go to our website at Into the Harvest, we've got our statement of beliefs and anyone Mm -hmm. can go and they can kind of see point by point um, how we hold to the historic Orthodox understanding of God and his truth as he has revealed himself in scripture. Um, 
with progressive Christianity, there are some themes, there are some attitudes, there are some outlooks that you can identify that that run across the board. And so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about those. One of them that you already mentioned is this idea that that truth is relative. Um, I think, you know, if we were to try to present their side of the, the case, they would say that uh, truth is there, but it's it's revealed progressively. And so... Yeah. When you look at the scriptures, that was that was based on people's understanding of God 2000 years ago. And now mm-hmm. we have a better, a more progressed understanding of God. And so if we understand God differently than what we see in the scriptures, it isn't that the scriptures were were wrong. They were right for their time. Um, But now we have progressed. We have a a deeper, fuller understanding of God. And so one of one of our um, views with and and it has been historical Orthodox Christian belief uh, from the beginning is that God fully represented himself when he sent his son, Mm -hmm. Jesus, into the world. One Mm -hmm. reason why we don't have more books being added to the Bible. uh, We talk about the, the, the canon of Scripture being closed, that we're not adding more holy books, is because Jesus was the full revelation of God. So once once that generation passed who had seen Jesus in person um, or had, had communicated with first person connections, so people like Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, he had access to people who had seen Jesus in the flesh, had, had heard Jesus speak these these truths that God had had sent him to speak. Once that generation passed, the canon is closed because we have everything we need. To, we have everything God wants us to know and everything we need from God to understand who he is, mm-hmm. what his views are on life, humanity, the world, the future. And we don't progress beyond that. In fact, it's interesting, right. like the scriptures actually say that if anyone goes too far and does not hold to the teachings that have been handed down to us, by the apostles, then he's out of step with the true faith. So that's it, one of the themes that we see is this idea that uh, we're more we're more um, enlightened as modern yes. day Christians than the ancients were. Yeah. But I think we're going to try to make the case that progressive Christianity is actually neither progressive nor Christian. So that's that's something that I would like folks to uh, to keep in mind is that even though it goes under the name of progressive Christianity, um, to, to progress means that you're staying within the boundaries. So you're progressing within sameness. But mm-hmm. progressive Christianity has actually moved beyond what's Christian and it's become something altogether different. Therefore, it, it really hasn't progressed. It, it's not really Christianity. But, you know, this is something you've studied. I, I know it's also something that you've experienced. Like I said, we're both here in Southern California. So, mm-hmm. you know, can you share a little bit about um, what you've learned or what you've experienced, how you've seen progressive Christianity playing out in your own life and in your own neck of the woods with your relationships? Yeah, so I don't interact here locally with too many progressive Christians. Um, I've done a lot of research, a lot of reading, um, and, and I do have progressive people in my life, um, that don't live here that I interact with from time to time. And, um, and I had kind of thought of an example. Um, and I think, I think what really plays into this susceptibility, this vulnerability to progress to, um, 
to progressive Christianity is just a very poor biblical literacy in general in the church, which is pretty problematic. Um, you know, people confuse descriptive and prescriptive passages, um, not reading, uh, pulling things out of context, um, more eyes of Jesus than exegesis, meaning um, whenever they read the Bible, they read, you know, into the text rather than going into the text and reading what, you know, the author and God has to say. Um, and then and then you throw in just the individualistic, just individualistic culture that we're living in, which really we're just swimming in this autonomous self of a culture like um, Natasha Crane wrote a great book called Faithfully Different. And in that book, the theme of it is basically describing and clarifying what secularism is, which is the authority of the self versus the authority of God. And um, there's a the core tenets of secularism, she describes, is feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Um, God is the ultimate guess and judging is the ultimate sin. It's a great book. And um, and so say say those let sorry say those last two again god is god is the ultimate guess and judging yes. is the ultimate sin hmm. so it's just this whole it's it's this it's the sin from the garden right it's wanting That's to go our thinking. own way and be our own gods i mean it's it's just the tales oldest time it's just what it looks like yeah. today in our modern day time right so then you combine that with just biblical literacy and it's just pri- it's pr- makes makes it prime for people to really be susceptible to this and so i was texting with someone about um, the Bible a while back. And then she was saying things like, well, how, how could we live our lives by the Bible? You know, we should be looking at Jesus as our example, looking at the life of Jesus, right? And that's what they'll say. They'll, they'll focus mostly on Jesus's life and his example as being a good moral teacher. And the rest of the Bible, if there's anything morally suspect or that doesn't resonate with them, they'll either um, reinterpret that or just reject it altogether. So it's kind of just doing what you want with the Bible. And so the authority of the Bible is just gone. And then she's like, we can use our own, you know, moral compasses to determine what's right and wrong, which is moral relativism, essentially. And, and then, you know, the old fashioned rules and the judgments of the Old Testament and the harsh God in the Old Testament, you know, because the Old Testament God is, is different than the New Testament God, you know, in their eyes. And um, all these outdated restrictions on sexuality. And and then she even says, well, we even can't go by the Bible because it's homophobic, it's sexist, it's racist, right? So she obviously had this really um, just incorrect view of uh, an understanding of what the Bible really is. And so it's hard to, I mean, do I lump her into like the progressive Christian category? I don't know. You know, but but I could just tell there was just such poor biblical literacy there, you know. Right. So so there's really a lot of crossover between humanism or maybe yes. it's humanism dressed up as Christianity. It it's it's trying to operate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of trying to hang on to the the comfortable aspects of bel- belief in God and especially a Christian uh, belief in God. But mm-hmm. really approaching the entire endeavor through a human, a humanist framework, um, whether it's this belief that yep. humanity as a whole, that, that we are more, um, enlightened, that we are actually better people. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. sin would tell us that, nope, we're actually just as bad yeah. as the people back in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're just as bad as the people who were sent into exile. Um, humanity in its core, um, 
existence is is the same. Like we mm-hmm. haven't become better people, and therefore mm-hmm. we have a better understanding of God. Um, right. And you're right. So, wasn't some it of these. C.S. L- no, go ahead. I was going to say, wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said, um, "Progress isn't progress if you're heading down the wrong road." In that case, you need to turn back and go down the other road. Yes, or something ex- along those lines. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. If you, the the episode that we did on the more traditional cults, we really approached it in a similar way, which is you know five marks that will help you identify uh, a cult, mm-hmm. and some of those marks are the same that we see in progressive Christianity. So one of them is a um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of them is that um, that there's new revelation, that yes, there was the old revelation, but now we have mm. this these new insights. And, and so for progressive Christianity, they may keep the same text, but what's different is, like you say, um, the, the people's understanding of God in the Old Testament was yeah. flawed. So, you know, God, um, God hasn't changed, but because people were more barbaric, um, they did things in the name of God that we see in scriptures and, and they're even endorsed in scriptures. It wasn't that God told them to do those things. It was, right. they misunderstood what God wanted and it was recorded kind of set in stone. So now we read it, um, thinking that that's who God is, mm-hmm. when in reality, uh, it's actually not something that we should follow and it doesn't represent who God is, but right. that's actually subverting. Then, then, like you said, it becomes eisegesis. We can go through the scriptures and we can take, yeah. you know, the Thomas Jefferson approach where anything that doesn't fit with our modern sensibilities, we can simply cut that out and say, that, well, that's mm-hmm. not something that we have to hold to as, as modern believers. Like we don't have to bring our way of life under the authority of the scriptures. We're essentially bringing the scriptures right. under the authority of modern sensibilities. Yep, that's true. Oh, and another thing I'd say too is, um, oftentimes progressive Christians will would just something to look out for. You, they they will say um, that they believe the Bible is inspired, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, really? And then, well, you have to make sure you ask, well, what do you mean by inspired? Because they'll they'll say, oh, it's inspired, and not by the way we would mean which um, is, you know, inspired word of God, but they would say it's inspired the same, the same way as if C.S. Lewis is inspired in his writings or Tolkien or, you know, is inspired. So. So would it be like even the same way that um, a, a modern musician is inspired, you know, Beyonce is inspired. Mm-hmm. So in the same sense that yeah, the scriptures. That's the way they use, they would use that word, not right, as so. in the inspired actual word of God. Yeah, this is something I've definitely picked up. Um, I follow some some accounts on Twitter. And one thing that comes up quite a bit, it, it goes to your point where often Jesus is put in tension with Scripture um, and to the detriment of Scripture. So this this is perhaps one way that I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, classic cults differ from progressive Christianity. So progressive Christianity will... Um, will undermine the authority of the scripture by appealing to the preeminence of Jesus, which, which sounds good. Like who's going to argue that Jesus isn't our example? You know, Jesus is our example, Yeah. but they're doing it to undercut the scripture. Like let's follow Jesus. Like we, we don't follow the Bible. We follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's one, um, 
individual I follow in particular who's constantly saying that, you know, the scripture is never referred to as the word of God. This is one of the big things he comes back to is that Jesus is the word of God. So yes, yes, we follow the word of God, but that's not scripture. That's Jesus. And he'll even make the case that most modern Christians are worshiping the Bible and that the Bible has become an idol. Mm -hmm. You Um, hear that. That it's been placed above Jesus when in when in reality, there's no conflict. There's no tension between God's revelation through his son, Jesus, who is referred to as the word of God and Mm -hmm. God's revelation over time through the prophets, through his spirit, which is also the word of God. So these things aren't in conflict, but they'll set up this this idea that there's a conflict between the Bible and Jesus. Well, it, it's funny because Jesus repeatedly affirms the Old Testament throughout his entire ministry right. over and over. I believe it's like over 95 times. Um, he affirms the scriptures. He, um, in the Sermon of the Mount on Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets, meaning the the Old Testament, that's what that was. And he said, not a jot or tittle will fall away from the law. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, whenever Satan tempted him, um, how did he fight back? You know, with with scripture. Right. Right. So he wasn't just pointing to some words that men wrote. (laughs) You know, he was pointing back to his own words. Right. Yeah, that's that's that passage of Jesus's temptation where we see three different ways the devil is tempting Jesus. And in Mm -hmm. each case, Jesus appeals to scripture. Yes, it 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 was just a few years back where I was reading that and I'd read through it many times, but I was reading it and I, I realized that this is this is Jesus in his humanity, putting himself under the authority of scripture and and what Satan is tempting Jesus to do is to operate outside of that. Um, Mm -hmm. In a sense, to operate out of his divinity. So anything Jesus would have said in that moment, uh, because he's fully God and fully man, would have been the Mm -hmm. word of God. But Jesus, Mm -hmm. as an example to us, I believe, lived out of his humanity, lived as a perfect man and submitted himself um, to the scriptures. And that's what, what brought him through that temptation. So yeah, undermining the scriptures, trying to be more um, palatable to modern sensibilities and and modern culture are some of the the main uh, ways that you can identify progressive Christianity. One thing that you'll see because of both of these things is that progressive Christians will often be, um, their guns will be trained against the traditional church and traditional doctrines of the church. So, So rather than confronting culture rather than confronting sin uh, in the culture or in our lives, um, it's almost like the the atheist trope of if we could just get rid of all religion, the world would be a better place. Um, mm. You know, the, the, the history of the world and all the wars and the death that we've seen is really because of religion. And it's a very simplistic view that, um, again, denies the corruption that we have as people. That yes, because we're corrupt people, oftentimes wars have been uh, enacted in the name of God. Mm -hmm. But it isn't because of the religion, it's because of, you know, we are corrupt people. So that's another sign that I I think I I see with progressive Christianity is that it's it's often joining the world in its attack on historic Mm -hmm. Christianity and historical Christian beliefs. 
Yeah, and you, you can't judge a belief system by its abuses. You know, although it is important for us to be sensitive with progressive Christians because um, you won't see an, an atheist coming into progressive Christianity. I mean, all the time, what progressive Christianity is, for right. the most part, is people who have deconstructed out of the church for whatever reason. It could have been, you know, hyper fundamentalism, legalism they've experienced, mm-hmm. or hypocrisy, or church abuse, or whatever it might be. So um, like- when interacting on a personal level with them, it's important to, you know, keep that in mind because there can be a lot of hurt. But then, then they deconstruct out, but, but and then they kind of just embrace and rest in that uncertainty and just reject it altogether, either deconverting all the way out into atheism or like this, coming back in as progressive Christian, rather than going back and trying to reconstruct to finding actual truth. And I think, too, in, in the past, the church you know, may not in their experience have um, helped them in their doubts that they have had. They um, haven't had a place to doubt, which I think is really, really important that we provide people to um, be able to have healthy doubt. Doubt can be very healthy if it's addressed with truth, right? And I don't think um, sometimes people haven't had that place to be able to have those doubts. And there's really good answers to those questions, you know? You know, deconstruction, I want to do an episode where I just do a deep dive on deconstruction, um, because I, I think there's a there's a sense in which, and I don't know if we should call it deconstruction, but there is a sense in which we should break down our faith. Like we should actually not just accept it uncritically. Um, true faith mm-hmm. can stand up to scrutiny, and, and that's actually part of what we're called to do is to root ourselves in truth, to root ourselves in scripture, to know the history of the church, to know the scriptures themselves, and to to determine whether we are on the, the right path. Yeah. You know, going back to your C.S. Lewis quote, I always think about uh, when I first started learning how to work on cars, um, it was very uh, intimidating because you, you think that mm. you can't understand it. You, you, then you begin to pull parts off the car and work on it, and you realize that th- this actually all works together. There is, there is a beauty to how this this vehicle is put together that you really can't get until you deconstruct it. You begin to pull it apart, but then you want to put it back together because uh, the car is meant to to work together. And in the same way, the Christian faith, it's a good thing for us to to do a deep dive so that we. We understand why we believe what we believe. So true. That's a great but, analogy. But I think a lot of times people, because they, they don't know how it works, then, you know, one reason why I think people embrace uh, the tenets of progressive Christianity is because of that illiteracy that, that you mentioned before. And so when someone comes along who's just a little further along and can, can cast doubt onto some of those beliefs, you know, historic beliefs about things like sin and judgment, um, is there a hell? Um, is mm-hmm. homosexuality a sin, you know, or does, does God, did God create people with these desires and therefore love is love and we should not be judgmental and they can make a compelling case because people don't have those roots. And th- there is that biblical illiteracy. It really does come back to effective discipleship. Yeah. If we're not effectively yes. making disciples, then, then the sheep are easy pickings for wolves who are who are in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about, um, we've, we've kind of tried to address some of the, the signs and attitudes 
maybe some of the tells that you would come across if someone has bought into uh, progressive, uh, progressive Christian thinking. And I would put this into two camps, right? There are people who are actively uh, and intentionally espousing these, these beliefs, these cr uh, progressive Christian beliefs. And then there's just a, a wide range of people who have been influenced by that. And so when you're in conversation with them, you're going to pick up cues that, hey, they, they're using the word inspired differently <laughs> than we would understand it. Mm -hmm. Or they, they have a view of God that's different than what we see in Scripture as, as the God who is both uh, a God of wrath and a God of love. But there were, um, we read the book by Alyssa Childers, uh, Another mm -hmm. Gospel, which we'll link to here in the show. I would definitely recommend folks read that if they want Absolutely. to go deeper. She mentions three core Christian doctrines that progressive Christianity um, redefines or rebuilds doctrines around. And they are the Bible itself, mm -hmm. the trustworthiness of the Bible, how it works, the nature of, of Revelation, the cross, what it signifies, um, what what we should take from Jesus dying on the cross, and then the gospel itself, like what is the good news? So let's maybe spend a few minutes just kind of walking through, you know, what progressive Christianity teaches on each of those three things, and then mm -hmm. bring it back to what uh, historic faith would teach us. So with the Bible, we've already talked about it a little bit, but yeah. do you want to summarize uh, what progressive Christianity, what progressive Christian views of the Bible are? Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what we had mentioned earlier. It's um, a very low view of scripture. Um, it's just, uh, it was a book written by people who um, were only doing the best that they knew how on the time in which they lived, you know, kind of thing. And um, I had a quote written here, written down here by a progressive Christian thought leader named Brian McLaren. And he said about the Bible, scripture faithfully reveals the evolution of our ancestors' best attempts to communicate their successive best understandings of God. As human capacity grows to conceive of a higher and wiser view of God, each new vision is faithfully preserved in scripture like fossils in layers of sediment. So that mm. kind of sums up their view of the Bible. Yeah, you really see so. those that humanist thinking mm. coming through, like the, just even the whole ideal of human uh, evolution. Yes. And being, progress, progress. <laughs> right. Being applied to our understanding of God, that we had this very, mm -hmm. again, um, barbaric understanding of God. So, you know, people like Abraham, you know, had, had, uh, <laughs> and Moses, they didn't really understand yeah. God the way that we do. It's pretty, it's pretty bonkers. Um, yeah. But it's quite arrogant. It's quite arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it fits with um, yeah. the, the spirit of the age, which is, yes, we are the enlightened yeah. ones. We are the ones who have the right. science, you know. So whereas, again, from the, the historic Christian view of Scripture has a very high view of Scripture that we can build yeah. our lives on this, that, that mm -hmm. you know, Psalm 119, 160 tells us that uh, everyone, the sum of thy words is truth and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. So if you think about a sum, you know, if you, if you add up 10 numbers and you get the sum, there's only one way mm -hmm. that sum is, is right. You have, they have mm -hmm. to all be right. Each step of your, your formula 
you have to do it right to get the right sum. If you make one mistake anywhere in there, um, then the answer is going to be wrong and, and untrustworthy. The psalmist says the sum of God's word is truth. And every one of his righteous ordinances is everlasting. So we have this high view of scripture that right. God said what he meant to say. He revealed himself. It wasn't mm -hmm. this low view like progressive Christianity that, hey, Moses was almost journaling. He was writing his best understandings of, of God. No, God revealed mm -hmm. himself to Moses and we have a faithful record of what that revelation was. So right. there are things in there that are very difficult for us to get our minds around. So, so it's not that we would say that, hey, there aren't things in scripture that are troubling to our, our modern sensibilities. But what we do with that is the difference between historic Christianity and progressive Christianity. What we do with that discomfort, do, mm -hmm. do we try to recalibrate the way we think and understand, or do we um, discount those parts of scripture that don't match our modern views? Right. And there, there's a lot of help with that, too. You know, if there's things in parts, you know, I think, you know, the conquering of the Canaanites is one thing people struggle with. I mean, there's so much there's so many good, um, you know, apologists out there to help you wrestle through that and to be able to better understand, understand that and to be able to approach the scriptures in the correct way and and look at the meta narrative of the Bible. I'm in a class right now I'm talking about God's big story um, about um, progressive covenantalism and how the covenants kind of progress over into the new covenant. And it's fascinating and it just really enriches and gives me a better, more full understanding of the scriptures and of, um, of my place in the story and how it all comes together. And, um, and I just, I, I, I love God's word. I don't, you know, right. and it just, I, it just baffles me this, um, false dichotomy that's put up of, um, worshiping the Bible. It, it makes right. no sense to me, but, um, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to give some resources here at the end because you're right. There are a ton of great resources. So, you know, people, when they first encounter these arguments, it can feel um, it can feel very disconcerting. And you can almost buy into the idea that, hey, this is a great argument and there's no good response. There's no good answer from yeah. historic Christianity. And to the contrary, there are a ton of great resources and mm -hmm. there's some recommendations that we'll make for folks at the end. Yeah. Well, For another sure. one is the cross. What is the progressive Christian view of what the cross was all about? And then we'll talk about historic Christian viewpoints on that. Okay, so so in a nutshell, progressive Christianity rejects the atonement. Um, rejects. Um, they would say that Jesus didn't die to pay the penalty for our sin. Um, he was, you'll hear him say things like he was crucified by an angry mob for speaking truth to power. He died to demonstrate the ultimate example of love and forgiveness for us to follow, or he, he died to topple the system of his time or to, to defeat the oppressor. And they would look at the historic view of the atonement, um, of the cross as, making God out to be, um, a cosmic child abuser. Right. As is the kind of phrase they use. They, God, mm -hmm. God was a cosmic bully. who used his son as a whipping boy. Um, yeah, you're there's not, a, those are, oh, the, that, that's their, those are those, those are their words. That's not you putting a negative oh, no, spin no, on that's it. Not my <laughs> word. No, this is what they, this is what progressive Christians right. 
how they how they characterize the cross. Right. Um, and they they also have a view of God as, you know, whereas the historic Christian, like what we would view God to be as he's revealed himself in the scriptures as many, many attributes. Um, God is fully love. He is fully just. He is fully sovereign, fully omnipotent. Like he's so many, he has so many attributes and the progressives view of God is where they really just focus in on God as love. Mm -hmm. Um, and they leave out his justice. They leave out his wrath. And so to say that, um, he sent his son to die on the cross. It would, it would be implicating like the moral character of God. And they don't believe that God punishes sin. And I mean, really they actually don't adhere to the doctrine of original sin. You know, um, they, they believe that humans are essentially good for the most. And when, when we're saying this, keep in mind, there are progressive Christians that might right. believe you know, but in general, mm-hmm. they they believe humans are essentially good, and that in fact viewing them as um, sinful is is damaging. That's harm. That's considered to be harmful, right? So God is God is is a, is He's a loving God. He would never He would never do that. Right, and, and I think going back to what you said at the beginning there, that they they deny the atonement dimension mm-hmm. of the cross. So. In, in a sense, the cross is seen as a great tragedy. It, you know, it's, it's actually just flips it on its head that the, that the cross is a tragedy where um, the, the, the fallenness of mankind um, yeah. overcame God's goodness, that God sent his son Jesus in, into the world. Jesus was this, this good, loving person. But the, the world and the, the misguidedness of man um, in a tragic way put Jesus to death. Uh, mm-hmm. But Jesus underwent that not, not willfully, but because of his willingness to take a stand and uh, to, to speak truth to power, like you said. Uh, mm-hmm. So it really uh, undercuts the very nature of the cross, which from a Christian viewpoint is God's great victory over mankind's sinfulness. So it's, it's almost backwards right. where... Yeah. Hey, the cross is this great tragedy where where we, as as um, misguided, um, angry people, put something really good to death. Versus, no, God sent His Son to die. You know, the first thing that we see John the Baptist say about Jesus when he sees Him is, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." So again, mm-hmm. historic Christianity has, has always thought that Jesus was sent into the world as the Lamb of God, the, the Lamb that was going to take away uh, the sin of the world. And that's, that's the whole idea of the atonement is that, uh, and it was not a, a child abuse. Jesus himself said, no one takes my life away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. Yes. Um, but Jesus himself, over and over, it's, it's so ironic right. that... Jesus couldn't get his disciples to get their minds around the fact that he was going to be put to death. They, they couldn't accept it and that this was part of, of God's plan. I was just reading in Mark's gospel where, where Jesus tells them, you're all going to uh, fall away uh, this evening um, because it is written. <laughs> you know, so you guys are going yeah. to come up short 
And he doesn't even say it's because you guys are lousy. He, he just says, listen, it's, it's written. I'll strike, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So th- there's this plan. And there's and, the reference to the um, scriptures again. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there's mm-hmm. this historic Christianity would say that it played out exactly the way God meant it to play out. And because of that, yeah. the sin, our sins were dealt with and paid for by Jesus. He took those sins upon himself. So it's a completely different view of the cross. Well, let's, let's talk about the gospel itself. What is the good news? Because again, progressive Christianity has a different view of this. Yeah. So the the cross obviously becomes powerless to save. Right. Mm-hmm. So and there's no sin. Right. In their eyes. So. Um, so if sin isn't a problem. Right. And Jesus didn't need to die. Then what would follow about the resurrection? <laughs> right. So so they would say, you know, a physical resurrection isn't even necessary. Um, not every progressive Christian will deny the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus. Some will, some, some won't, but you have to remember that that doesn't even matter. It's kind of besides the point because earlier we said actions are emphasized over beliefs. So what you actually believe is a moot point, right? So the emphasis shifts from the resurrection being a key historical event, to just lessons that we can learn from the story. It's, it's more like a helpful metaphor, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, first Corinthians fifteen fourteen, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which right. is what we would say as historic Christians. So, so that's um, pretty much how they view the resurrection. So it's just, it's a very um, man centered, um, re, redef- they redefine God, redefine everything. And it's just, it's more about, um, it's more, it's just a more focus on actions. Um, there, I wanted to point out, there was a progressive children's pastor a few years ago who wrote an article about how to talk to kids about Easter. Hmm. And so this kind of demonstrates this way of thinking. So she said, quote, the point of the Easter story isn't whether or not Jesus literally rose from the dead. We're missing the point if we're fighting over the historical accuracy of a bodily re- resurrection. And then she went on to say that parents should be asking, do you know of a story like a myth or fable that teaches a great lesson but isn't filled with facts? How might the Easter story work the same way? And what do you think that we can learn from it? Wow. So it's kind of a summary of how they, they would view the resurrection. Hmm. And then, and then their review of hell. So it, it's all like a set of building blocks, right? So a progressive Christianity is like a set of building blocks without sin, without atonement, without the resurrection. Well, of course, then where does the heaven and hell block stand? Right. You know, it's so it, it of course, it's going to end up in a, in a denial of the reality of hell. In fact, most progressives would um, subscribe to some form of universalism. Yes. Which means is, that all, all humans will be saved. And this is probably for most people in terms of like the the general consciousness, maybe the best known figure for progressive Christianity is Rob Bell, uh, just because mm-hmm. he was one of the, the first ones who got a lot of uh, airtime with his book, Love Wins, which is right. exactly on this topic of there's no hell. Everyone's going to make it because God is love. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, yes. it was the Oprahification of Christianity. So she, he became her pastor and she had him on. So, uh, and I've got nothing against Oprah personally, but again, it's, mm-hmm. it's the idea that, Hey, if this is so, um, attractive to the world, 
um, right. that we can mainstream this this person and his views on on Christian doctrine. That's a flag, you know, like Jesus said, the world's going to hate you <laughs> because it hated yes. me. So if, if everyone's loving you and, and, and even if you're if you're crafting a message with the intent of making it appealing to everybody um, versus trying to discern what is the message that has been given to us uh, through Jesus, through the prophets, through the apostles, and then how can we faithfully communicate that to the world? whether they find it attractive or not, mm -hmm. um, is, is kind of the difference. You, you, th that's a fork in the road that's going to take you down towards his, historical Christian teachings or what we're seeing with uh, progressive Christianity. Well, let's, um, let's yeah. shift gears a little bit here, Jennifer. Let's, let's talk about some recommendations and resources. So what are some recommendations that you would offer folks who are listening, who, who want to be better educated not just on progressive Christianity. I, I hope that what they'll want to do really is dive deeper into true Christianity, historical Christianity. Um, what mm -hmm. are some things that you would recommend for those folks? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where do I even begin, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for progressive Christianity and also many other things, I um, definitely Elisa Childers who you mentioned or earlier, mm -hmm. her book, Another Gospel. It's it's a really uh, great book. It's very accessible on a layperson love, level to read. It's not too, you know, academic, yet she really dives pretty deep as, at the same time. So it's a really great book in that regard. And she has a, a podcast, um, a YouTube channel, a whole, a whole ministry. So right. she's amazing. Um, Natasha Crane, who I mentioned earlier, is also really great as well. And they actually work together and they have a podcast um, called the Unshaken Faith Podcast. Um, it's really great for busy people, 15-minute bite-sized episodes to listen to. Um, they talk a lot about progressive Christianity and, and, and a lot of other things. They even have a conference that they've started up where they're visiting various cities throughout the year. I just went a couple weeks ago to the one here. And it's just, they're they're amazing. They're, they're really great. Um, and like I said, progressive Christianity kind of overlaps a lot with social, with social justice, which is a whole other conversation, but they're kind of like two interlinking circles. And so in, with that whole conversation, I would recommend um, the Center for Biblical Unity, which is run by Monique Dusan and Krista Bontrager. And they actually work a lot with Elisa and Natasha in, in this conversation, but as well as in the whole conversation of biblical justice versus social justice from a biblical standpoint. So they're really great. There's um, the Stand to Reason ministry. There is um, Michael Kruger. He's the president of the Reformed Theological Seminary, he wrote a book called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. That's a really small, easy to read book. Um, Jay Gresham Machen wrote that book in the 1920s, Christianity and Liberalism, which is really good. We could put all this in the show notes, but <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many great resources out there. Yeah, th there, there are a number of great resources. I think, um, I think those are some great starting points for folks who want to become more educated on what's at stake. You know, what, what are some of the distinctions? Because once you begin to see it, you'll start picking up, uh, clues just in everyday conversation or what you see online again attitudes and viewpoints mm -hmm. on on the scripture that differ from from historical faith um, another one that i would recommend is that folks um, just begin to introduce themselves to church history um, 
yeah. we are very illiterate when it comes to the scripture itself. Um, many of us don't really know what's in the Bible. And that's, that's a real shame. Like we, we should, we should become people who are dedicated to knowing the message that has been handed down to us. But I think uh, another great resource available to us is, is church history. And, and for many of us, we just have this blank space between, you know, the 21st century, um, what we understand about the church and Christianity today, and the historical uh, background of Christianity, you know, and there's something very affirming and, and uh, foundational. There's something that really roots us when we go back and we read what the early church fathers taught and what they understood about these things, whether it's the scriptures or the cross or the gospel, and to see that the church has held true to those teachings uh, through the centuries, this isn't just a, a new interpretation, but um, we're holding to what the church has understood about the faith. And a resource that I, I would recommend on that is a, a series of lectures by Luke Timothy Johnson. It's in the Great Courses. Um, I believe it's 36 different lectures, <laughs> so it's a lot. But again, they're 30 minutes long. So, you know, if you've got a commute or you just want to learn more about church history, I think it's uh, his, his course in particular is um, From the Disciples to the Dawn of the Reformation, um, which I think for a lot of modern Protestants is that, that's often just a missing gap. You know, they see the Gospels and the Scriptures and they, they know what modern Protestant Christianity looks like, and they don't really know how we got from the first century through the present. So that's that's a great resource I would recommend as well. I love that you recommended that. Um, that's what Elisa Childers did, in fact, whenever she um, had deconstructed her faith, and that she'll tell this story in her book. But she she did this. She went back and read the early church fathers, early church history, um, Augustine's Confessions, and um, and I know also Krista Bontrager also highly recommends. Let's get back to what the early church was doing. So I, I love that you said that. That's very important too. Yeah. So again, I don't know if we would call it deconstructing, but I, I would say take your faith serious and really study it. It's not something that um, that we should just take for granted or just take at uh, at a surface level. We we each of us should be students of the scriptures and we should be students of mm -hmm. church history. We should know the history of the Bible. How did we get this book? How did it come down to us? There's a whole story there that that will give you confidence if if you learn and study it. So, yeah, absolutely. Take your faith serious and 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 do a deep dive. You can't recognize a counterfeit unless you know what the real thing looks like. Absolutely. Well, any final thoughts from from you, Jennifer, as as we wrap up the day? Things that you would want to leave folks with? No, I mean, like I would echo what you said. Just always being the word. You know, I don't think we could say that enough. I would also say um, for those out here there who have kids or teenagers, um, expose them, inoculate them to these ideas. 
um, let show them what progressive Christianity looks like. Analyze memes. Go to TikTok. I mean, don't hmm. put your kids on TikTok, please. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. That is such a toxic place. But you know, show them a little meme or a little clip or whatever, because TikTok is a really toxic place. And you know, if they're ever exposed to that on their own, you don't want them to not be prepared. So just inoculate your kids, expose them to bad ideas with you in a healthy place, so that then you can talk to them about what they're seeing and show them truth through that. So really just be in constant intentional conversation with your kids because you don't want the first time for them to discover this and other bad ideas to be when they're in college or when they're off on social media one day by themselves. Absolutely. If folks wanted to access more of what you're doing with United Next Gen, is there a website or how would you recommend they they go about connecting with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my website is um, www united next gen that's gen.com and so that's where they can find me excellent well we'll put that in the uh, the resources as well jennifer thanks so much for for being with me today and helping me kind of walk through this i hope it's helpful for folks and that they begin uh, discerning where progressive christian thinking really is bleeding into not just the culture but into the church today and that uh, we'll see a new generation of disciples who take their faith seriously, mm-hmm. who know how to recognize that counterfeit, but also know how to respond with the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I'd love to have you on again in the future and Absolutely. really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on, Andrew. 